Hey, it's Laura Giles, your host of Modern Animism Radio. I'm here with Sherry Calvert and Simon Fowler. We are going to be talking about animism in the media, so movies, TV, pop culture, and I'm sure you're probably thinking, what animism movies are you talking about? But animism is everywhere. It's hiding in plain sight if you know where to look. Um, you'll see. So first, let's acknowledge our oldest ancestors, the elements, and I acknowledge the element of Earth, and thank you for bringing our attention to the Earth beneath us, our bodies, our physicality, stability, groundedness, and sensuality, and how we move in our lives. Acknowledge and give gratitude to the air for our intelligence and innovation. Breath is life, as we now know that we're all wearing masks. Acknowledge the element of fire and give gratitude for our personal power and responsibility to get through all the changes that life is throwing at us right now with COVID, Black Lives Matter, joblessness, and whatever you're dealing with personally. Acknowledge and give gratitude for water, for reminding us to flow and not get frozen in fear. Life keeps moving, and so must we. And one of the best ways to not get stuck is to keep moving, so do something. I give gratitude to all of you for tuning in, telling others, and sending us your support. We rely on your emotional and financial support to be here. So thanks for every like, share, and social media comment. And if you'd like to donate, please hit the button on our website at www.pansociety.net. Or you can go to buymeacoffee backslash pansociety and donate there. So, animism in the movies. There are definitely animist movies like Princess Mononoke and uh, Moana, but there's also movies and books that have animist moments or characters, and anime definitely has that too. So, Simon, would you mind starting off by touching on that? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so, Japanese anime, well, anime, for anyone who doesn't know, is essentially just uh, Japanese media, Japanese cartoons. Um, and Japan is a culture deeply rooted in animism, especially through uh, a kind of indigenous religion known as Shinto. Um, Shinto focuses heavily on worshiping nature spirits and ancestors um, and seeing the sacred powers or souls uh, known as kami to them in both animate and inanimate objects and uh, beings. Um, an example that I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar with in Japan, uh, even if they don't know what it is, is the tori, which is that giant red archway kind of gate that you see everywhere. Um, that symbolizes kind of like a, uh, a gateway from our world to the spirit world. Um, and you can see Shinto in a lot of anime. Um, it really permeates the culture. Uh, but especially you can see it in movies by the company Studio Ghibli. They're the ones who make Princess Mononoke, uh, Spirited Away. Um, more recent movies were things like Ponyo. Um, so I think everybody is a little familiar with the company to some degree. Uh, but some of the best examples, so we've mentioned Princess Mononoke first. Um, and for those who haven't seen Princess Mononoke, uh, it's about a, a very nature-oriented world. Um, you know, humans, animals, and spir uh, nature spirits live in harmony with each other uh, until that harmony begins to crumble due to a group of humans ravaging the earth. There's a mining company that is taking from the earth, taking from the mountains, 
uh, mining coal with complete disregard for the ecological consequences of their actions, um, which leads to disharmony as we, you know, we all see in everyday life ourselves. Um, so the gods of nature start cursing humans and uh, creating illnesses based on, uh, you know, their uh, negligence and disregard. Um, so our protagonist uh, tries to bring peace between the miners and the nature spirits with the help of a girl raised by wolves, uh, particularly raised by a wolf goddess, um, and the aid of the god of the forest and a lot of other forest spirits and other community. Um, so have you have y'all seen that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's that's one good example. Um, there's also there's also the movie Spirited Away, um, which is a movie about a girl who her parents they they enter a abandoned amusement park, um, but they walk through a red gate. Um, and her parents end up cursed, and they are turned into pigs by uh, kind of symbolizing their greed. And this girl is um, taken into the spirit world where she becomes an employee at a bathhouse for spirits. Um, and you see all sorts of spirits in the movies. You see uh, different nature spirits. Uh, I think there's there's an example of a radish spirit, a little things called soot sprites, which are basically the spirits of coal and soot. Um, and you even see a couple of river gods in the movie. Uh, one she helps purify, and another helps save her from uh, her problems in the movie. And you kind of see her... The movie is a great example of how... Um, you know, she she starts it off very bratty and immature and kind of sees herself as the center of the universe. Um, but as she has to interact with these spirits, um, helping the river gods and helping other spirits, she starts to uh, gain empathy for the life that surrounds her. And it really helps her grow as a person. It kind of helps you. It's a nice um, metaphorical representation of, like, you know, hey, you can't be disconnected from the world around you. You can't be disconnected from the nature around you, all of the living things that are around you because, um, you know, you end up suffering for it and you end up confused and not really knowing what's going on in life unless you can really interconnect with all of the nature around you um, and the different spirits and beings and stuff around you. Um, so I, I don't know if y'all have seen that one, but that one's also pretty good. Uh, yeah, I think the movies like that kind of illustrate the my mom's animism, where all of that stuff is alive and it's around you and it's happening just like that all the time. And I think if you come from a a place where it's an idea and it's really, I don't know, or maybe you see the energies happening differently, then movies like this are, are a way to see it through a different lens. Um <clears throat> And and not to say that you have to adopt that, but maybe to help you understand uh, indigenous people better. 
I can definitely see that. One of one of my favorite things about Spirit Away in particular uh, is how it kind of brings that perception to you know more contemporary minds. It kind yeah. of gives mm-hmm. it it gives you this great like visual representation of like, hey, you know, this is what people talk about when they're talking about animism. You know, seeing seeing the life for what it is, or seeing seeing what we would consider as people in everything. You know, yeah, that mm-hmm. all all of the different aspects of nature are their own person and have their own personhood to them, even though they don't look well, like it, us. I think it also kind of brings to mind the idea of having your inner child always be accessible to you because it's, you know, most of these are animated and they're, they look like they're done for kids. I don't think they necessarily are done for kids, but it certainly does tap into that inner child, um, which I think has to be a part of, our lives if we're going to be full, healthy, fully participating people. And I think yeah. a lot of people are brought up to ignore that, you know, when you're told, oh, this is just a dream and that's not real. There's so many kids now today, if you try to joke around with them, they're just like, that's not real. You know, and they just totally dismiss the fantasy and the and the the things that you can't see in favor for what's scientific and what can be felt. And I think that's such a shame because they're losing their their child, their inner child. Mm-hmm. And their creativity. Yeah. So much of what I do, this is going to sound crazy, but with um, people with PTSD is do stuff like color and, oh, let's listen to some Disney music while we just sing stuff at the top of our head. And and it, it sounds like what you're doing that in therapy, but it's to get them back in touch with that because it's a lost part of yourself. And if you don't have that wholeness, it's really, really hard to heal. Everything yeah. is not logical. It's kind of like discounting that whole feminine side of yourself. Yeah. No, I can I can see that. I uh, I definitely agree that, you know, one one kind of way I've always thought about it in my life is, you know, logic and reason can get us through life and it can help us survive and make it to where you know, that masculine energy or whatever um, helps us get through life and makes it possible for us to live, but the feminine energy is what makes it worth living in the first place. Exactly. Being able to see things, the creativity, the imagination, the fun, the games, like, otherwise we're just surviving, and that's, I think, you're right, I think that's where a lot of people come from now, where they lose that that feminine joy and just look at everything from a hyper-masculine practicality. And there's a place for both, but but you definitely can't have one without the other, or you're going to have big problems. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think, think too, go ahead, I'm sorry. Okay, I was going to uh, connect another theme here too, I think, with the children, is if you see the adults in these movies, they are non-believers or they've just grown up past it. So it's kind of like telling you to reconnect, hey, the children can see this, or let's let's return to it through the children. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at no, these I, stories, the, the hero is always the child because he, he has not lost that magic. Or like in, um, oh, what is it, never-ending story, you know, it's up to the little kid mm-hmm. to save the world, you know. <laughs> Only you yeah. can do this. <laughs> yeah, no, I do love that theme. And like uh, like Sherry was saying, you know, it is the adults have always kind of been set in their ways or, you know, they've they've lost their ability to connect or lost their willingness to connect and see things from a 
a more innocent perspective. Um, and I think, you know, it, it is good that the children are always the hero because it kind of forces you to be back in that role, forces you to be like, oh, yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I used to play with sticks and fight imaginary people in the forest and, yeah. you know, talk to the Magic trees and all so that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And kids, too, they have boogeymen and devils and, you know, all these things that you have to fight, and that's real. I don't necessarily mean boogeymen, but there are scary things in the dark that we don't know about and we can't necessarily fight. And I think these stories lead us to how, how that's done. It shows us the hero and the hero inside of us. So they're, they're not just, you know, I mean, it's the thrillers and all that are great where they're just people doing normal human stuff. But to me, they like the magic. And if you're not engaging in magic, it's kind of like what you were saying, Simon. You know, what's the point in living if your life is not magical? Right. Oh, there is one movie in the, and maybe more than one, but one that's coming to the top of my head where it wasn't the child that was the hero. Well, not not necessarily the hero, but the, the person who was teaching magic. And it was um, in my neighbor Totoro when the family moves to the house in the country, the girls run in and they disrupt the spirits and there's soot, uh, spirits flying around making everything messy. And it's the old lady neighbor who comes down and says, oh, no, these are spirits. You need to clap. And that's the Shinto thing, clapping three times before you enter mm-hmm. space so you don't startle the spirits and they know you're coming and so that they don't do this. And then eventually they will take leave themselves when they're ready. I was just going to say that was another example I had written down. Um, and that's exactly what I was uh, thinking about when we were talking about getting back to that childhood. You know, these two girls move in my neighbor Totoro, uh, the, these girls and their father move to the country from the city in the first place, um, to be closer to their mother in the hospital. Um, but they're, you know, they're coming from that city, that real, that hyper-realistic life, that, um, you know, industrialized life. And they, they're having fun. They're still children, but they do get their help from essentially the village elder who's there to kind of teach them, like, you know, look around you, look in the forest around you, look in the, the, here in the country, you can see the spirits because you're not bogged down by all the noise and, you know, mental pollution around you. You can actually connect and see the things around you. But, yeah, I was just going to mention that the village elder is a is a big thing in these Studio Ghibli movies as well. And in Celtic uh, mythology, it, it's actually, yeah, both. It's like the yin and the yang, the, the child and the elder, because they're closest to the other world. So it's not, you're right, it's not just the child. But I think what we're missing in our culture is that that elder never grows into an elder. You know, the, the child yeah. is killed, and so the adult never evolves into that, which I think is a huge deficit in, in modern society. We just don't have them. Yeah, for me it's really important to to kind of, as I'm moving into that, to bring other people with me and make that, just an awareness, you know, hey, man, you got a responsibility because we're such a youth-obsessed culture. And and it's funny, we're so youth-obsessed, and yet we kind of get rid of our inner child. So I, I, don't, I don't understand that. <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah. No, modern society definitely has this weird kind of fetishization of youthfulness and being young in almost a purely superficial sense. Yeah. And then we just kind of lose what that meant in the first place other than, oh, I'm not dead yet or I'm, you know, farther away from dying than 
the rest of you old yeah. people. <laughs> I'm still fit and hot and beautiful. Yeah. Well, I, I think we're we are shifting because I noticed there's and and this is pre-COVID uh, that there was a shift in women that had just were not you know that they like we're not coloring our hair anymore. We're just going to let our natural hair out. So you see a lot of younger women and you know that are having gray you know that have gray hair or are graying or even silver in their 30s. And so I hmm. think there, there there is a balance shift that is slowly happening. I'm so glad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, I definitely see that. I think a lot of that, you know, the current political climate, not only in America but all over the world, is this, there's this big push for, you know, completely rewriting what it means to be, or redefining what it means to be human, what it means to be, um, you know, natural creatures, and this kind of, this escape, or not even escape, but this denial of, of the natural, more gritty parts of being human and yeah. as that yeah. gets more out into the public you are seeing this bigger pushback coming in that I think really needed it to be out there, needed the denial of human being to be really pushed for people to realize like, oh wait, no, there is a reality that we need to stick to and I need to do my part in preserving that. And yeah, you see that a lot. You see that in women being willing to age, men being willing to age, men being more willing to take on positive masculine roles. Everyone's really trying to get back to that place of like, well, wait, what are we, what are we supposed to be? What did nature want us to be? And how do we get back to that? Because a lot of, I don't think the majority of people like where we're headed right now. <laughs> yeah. I think part of that too um, shows up in movies like, um, what's the name of it? Uh, the Book of Life and Coco where we're talking about death, you know, and what it means to die, having a relationship with the dead. Because I think as death becomes more demystified, people are willing to walk towards it and just see it as a transition. I really love Coco especially, you know, because it, it, makes, it makes your family matter. Mm-hmm. It makes your history matter. It makes healing those, those problems, you know, matter. And I think we all need to get in touch with that for our own health and vibrancy. For sure. Yeah. I like Coco, too. <laughs> I lived in Mexico um, for six years, and one of my the first year I was there, I was enamored. Like, somebody actually, one of the families there invited me to share um, Dia de los Muertos with them, which is Days of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Um, and it's in November, the, the November first and second, and the whole like it's a whole thing. Um, every family like it was amazing just going to the cemetery. So they actually go to the cemetery, they bring alcohol, trinkets, whatever for the dead that are there. They clean off the graves, they decorate them, they sit there and have drinks and chit chat with them and eat, and it's a whole loving and amazing experience. And then it continues at home where they have altars built to their family, um, their deceased family members and their ancestors. Um, and even ones that they may not have never met are still on the altars if they have mementos from them. So it, mm-hmm. it is a very loving uh, culture. And also I think it helps prepare you for death, like if you know that that's yeah. your afterlife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really, I I love the adults Mortos. Um, so I, Coco and Book of Life are actually still on my to-be-watched list. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I grew up in Texas. I'm um, you know, I see the adults much every year. Um, and it's really big where I live. 
uh, and you know we used to make altars in school and um, you know in our art classes and stuff like that. Like that would always be a project. You know we're gonna make our altars for our ancestors this week, and we'd have mm. like little parades, little parades cool. in school and stuff like that. Yeah, it was it was always it was honestly one of my you know I was raised Christian. It was one of my first um, kind of peeks into ancestor worship and and veneration and you know feeling like the idea that our ancestors were still with us and not you know separated from us and away from us mm-hmm. but yeah Dia de los Marchos is a really awesome holiday that's great <clears throat> to have experience as a child because uh, the school yeah. uh, I see it here now in Alabama and I don't know if it's recently new but we do have a, a very large Mexican population but um, when I was growing up in North Carolina we never did anything like that it's funny because when I was in school, <laughs> like first and second grade, my mom was a room mother, and I guess she was really involved in school, and my teachers loved her. And so they would have her come in, and we would have like a cultural exchange. based. It was like she was the star of the show, and she would just tell people about stuff and bring food and all of this. And I didn't ever think it was weird because, you know, that's, I don't know, it just was what was happening. Um, but now looking back on it now, I see, oh, my God, that was so weird. <laughs> yeah, when you realize your home life is way different than everyone else's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I just thought it was because they like my mom, you know. <laughs> like, oh, my mom's in school because she was always in school. She was there for every, like, you know, when you have your, I don't know if y'all did this, but like Halloween or Valentine's Day when you have your parties and every the room is mm-hmm. all decorated and stuff. She was always there for stuff like that and PTA. So it just was like, okay, she, well, she's here again. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been strange for me because my parents were just never involved in school. I would have been mortified. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember, like, um, because our house was a little, I, I guess, strange for other people. Um, so when I, we had friends over, which was rare, they always wanted to come over because it was either the food or the stories or just mm-hmm. to look at what's in the house. Like it's just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for when I was growing up, it was a Jewish girl. We had a Jewish girl on our street, and they had bagels, and we were like bagels because they didn't have bagel shops back then. It's like what's a we called them bagos. What's a bago? <laughs> <laughs> Or she had, you know, the Jewish holidays and stuff. It was just, they were the mysterious people. <laughs> Actually, this whole conversation, so I was thinking about this. Um, as uh, Simon mentioned, the Tory arches, uh-huh. uh, it's funny that we kind of disregard that. Like, nobody knows. Like, you see them everywhere. Like, in, even in yeah. the US, like, botanical gardens or whatever, and people don't realize what the actual... Symboli- uh, the symbolism is there because like, they're mm-hmm. crossing over them. And I wonder what, how people would feel if they knew what it meant. Like if there's like a yeah. little plaque that said, hey, you are crossing over <laughs> to another <laughs> space or whatever. Like, uh, But, uh, you know, I think uh, I love the, multi-cult- the multicultural um, mix that we have coming in because in the U.S. we have lots of evidence around us. It's just we don't know what we're looking at sometimes. Right, yeah. Just like those arches being a big one, because I see them everywhere. Yeah. And I, even in people's gardens, like, it's funny. Well, thresholds in general are liminal spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think about that all the time, especially when I'm standing in one. I'm like, whoop, you know, maybe I'm going to stand there. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, 
you know, when I was looking into uh, Shintoism, I actually didn't even know, when I first started learning about it, I didn't even know about the Torah. You know, you see that, and I think everyone just kind of assumes, like, oh, those that fancy Japanese architecture. You know, I think a lot of people I talked to even thought that, um, you know, the Torah was just a, like, a single structure that was somewhere, you know, that Japan was known for. They didn't realize that it was, all over the place and such an integral part of the culture. And something something that I just thought of right now as we're talking about it, I know one of the more famous photos of um, of the Hiroshima destruction, all around this decimated landscape, you just see a single Tori standing in the middle of all of it, looking almost completely unfazed, which I didn't even think about the power of that photo until right now. I'm putting it together. Yeah. It's really cool, you know. Yeah. Not even not even nuclear bombs can stop our connection to the spirit world if we if we keep. I think touch. that that liminal space, that space between life and death, is so underappreciated, under talked about. Um, mm. Serpent in the Rainbow is one of my favorite movies, and uh, it, I think it's an '80s movie, but it's and it's about voodoo, and this. Um, I think he's Harvard. I don't know. Ivy League professor goes to Haiti to study the poison of a frog to see if that's how they make zombies. <laughs> and it's I, every time I watch the movie, I get something different, and I'm not quite really sure what it's saying. And I don't even know that it's that that the writer knows what it's saying. <laughs> but it explores that space between life and death, and what makes us alive, what makes us dead, how the spirit is animated. Can somebody take your spirit? And all of these interesting questions that we just don't talk about in our culture, but like in, in Haiti, it's part of their whole culture. And I think it, that enriches life. If, you, if you're in touch with death in whatever way that you do it, it just makes you so much more alive. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, okay, I feel like American society, especially or Western culture, the only thing we take from death is that it's inevitable, you know, that you are going to you know, cease existing and that everything's going to stop and you know, live your life to the fullest because you're going to die, which is definitely a part of the lessons of death. I do think that we don't we don't look at death enough positively in American culture. I guess is what I'm trying to get at, you know, and our, our, our spirit and what our spirit being a part of us actually means and what our life actually means in relation to death. You know, death is not just the body ceasing, it's your spirit exiting the body, which means you're Spirit had to enter the body in the first place. Um, and I don't know, in a way, I feel like death kind of creates its own logic for reincarnation. You know, mm-hmm. why would you exist unless you are, why would you exist at all unless you're going to leave and come back? Um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. I don't know how I was trying to get at that, but. <laughs> I think a lot of people are paying more attention to the spirituality in general, the idea that we do have a spirit and it's meaningful, it's alive, it evolves. And um, as a therapist, one of the things that I see my clients talk about more and more, which is absolutely thrilling, is the idea of spirit medicine. And um, in, oh, what's the name, Horse Boy. Uh, it's a documentary, but... Um, it's about this guy who has an autistic child, and he is wild, really, really wild. 
and they go to Mongolia to get spirit medicine for him. And um, he responds to the horses. Horses definitely calm him down. But it's Mongolia is like no nowhere. I mean, there's no roads, and it's like really, really rough country. So to do that with an autistic boy is like, oh, my God. Um, and then they get there, and they meet the shaman, and then they um, basically try to he- heal his spirit because there's a belief that, all illness is spiritual illness. There's something wrong with the soul, um, which I think is interesting. And and as a holistic therapist, I think it's definitely got to be a part of your treatment. I mean, you can't just ignore that. You can do all the exercise you want, but if your spirit's not right, it's you know you're not right. In my opinion. No, I I definitely agree. I remember um, I remember reading. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Sandra Engerman who said it. Um, but, you know, that essentially reality is just a dream that we're all sharing. And, you know, it's our, it's our minds and the way, we, the way we feel and, you know, conduct ourselves and our spiritual energy, essentially, that creates the world around us. So in the same way that we individually affect, we can affect our own illnesses, we can affect our own um, all sorts of, issues, physical manifestations of issues that we have with us simply because we're not in balance spiritually. Um, and, you know, that kind of resonates throughout all of culture. You know, our cultural problems are because we're not right yeah. spiritually. We're not trying to reach that balance spiritually. Um, and I think that's why it's so important for communities to have group rituals, community rituals. Because when you have that healing and you share that energy and it happens with everybody, the whole society transforms. Yeah. I mean, we are connected to each other. We're part of each other. And we have to do this, not totally together, but at least part of the journey is together. No, definitely. One of of my other favorite authors um, who writes on masculinity, uh, Jack Donovan says... um, you know, we are 50% individual identity, but to be fully realized, the other 50% of us, 50% of us is our, uh, our uh, group identity. You know, we are yeah. half individual, but half group. And, you know, a fully realized individual can only exist with a realized group identity. You know, if you, yeah. are, if you are just part of the group, you're a zombie. If you don't have any individual value other than your group identity, you know, who are you? But if you're also only yourself with no connections, you can't really, you're missing right. part of what it means to be human, you know. And that's why we created Pan Society, really. I mean, that realization hit me. Um, I have a family. I have a great family. I'm well-rooted. But I didn't feel, it's like I had this really small, tight bubble, and I didn't feel a part of the community. And actually, I was doing all this kind of work to create one for years and didn't even know that that's what I was doing. I didn't know that that was what my soul was yearning for. And then when I went to an indigenous community and felt so much a part of it, I was like, that's what it is. And that's really where the seeds of Pan Society took root. And I didn't want – I mean, there's so many ways you can create a community. You can do it at the gym. You know, I was a dancer. You could do it as, as into something that you're, you know, like that or music or whatever. But I really wanted it to be an animist community because that's where my heart is. No, and that's that's cool that you say that because I mean that's that's part of what drew me to 
Penn Society in the first place. I mean, I really, I really feel like Penn Society um, was at least one of the answers to um, a question I was having, which is like, you know, where is my group? Do I have a group? And I really, I really didn't. Um, you know, I uh, growing up, I realized that a lot of the of my friends and the people I was hanging out with, you know, were not good influences, and I realized that at that time, which it definitely was true, I was better to just kind of go it alone um, and just kind of keep to myself. I isolated myself in a lot of ways, which helped me grow in a lot of ways, but um, in this past year, like two years specifically, I realized, like, man, I really am kind of alone in a lot of this. I need to, mm-hmm. I'm missing a lot of life by not having people to communicate with and not having friends and relationships and conversations, um, which is, you know, part of why I really value Pan Society because I do feel like I'm able to have these conversations with people now, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, too, now are um, mixed. And I'm I'm in the Midwest today, and this is where I grew up. And it is so different from where I live. There are so many... Many, many more mixed mixed people, mixed couples, gay people, you know, and it's it's so – it's the Midwest. You don't think of the Midwest as being diverse, but it's diverse. And, yeah. And I think we're moving in that direction, and so we have – our roots are, like, exploded, and so we don't have a single identity, like, this is my culture, that's my culture. We're multicultural and multi-influenced, and I think for that reason, too, it's it's – we're evolving into a new identity, a new um, community, which I think Pan Society also meets that need because we're not the traditional animus. It's not like we're going to be like, okay, I'm I'm an adopted Cherokee, you know, which uh, if that's mm-hmm. your thing, I'm not knocking that. But, you know, I, I don't think that's where we are today. We're, we're, you know, life changes, life moves. Yeah. No, I I definitely agree with that. There's this kind of going back to what we were saying with the cultural shift as well, there's this kind of um, retraction from our original expansion in like American culture. You know, we all integrated, Mm -hmm. you had all of these isolated cultures and communities all coming together to meld into this melting pot of a giant American culture. Um, But now, just like you were saying, I think now we're kind of, a lot of us are missing that step between yeah. Who am I as an individual and who am I as a citizen of America? Where is that where is my group in between that? And you just kind of see people reforming. Um mm-hmm. and, you know, it's demonized a lot in the media, but I really think we're getting back to we're we're understanding the values of getting back to a certain degree of tribalism. Um and yeah. I think a lot of people are out there searching for searching for their tribe or trying to craft that new tribe. Well, and I think it's tribalism from a space of being in between. It's a liminal space. So I think, um, I don't know if y'all have ever heard of Neither Wolf Nor Dog, but it's a book and a movie about um, the the generations in between. Like you're, it's specifically it's talking about Native American and American because in that culture, so the um, United States came into Native Americans said, and basically wiped out their culture by making them go to boarding schools. Mm-hmm. They weren't allowed to speak their, their own language. They had to learn English. They had to be Christians. So they couldn't, there were generations of people who couldn't even speak to their family. 
because they didn't know the language. And they didn't, you know, they weren't allowed to wear their hair long. They weren't allowed to practice the religion, all of these things. And so you're in a space of in-between. And I think a lot of people now have lost their roots. It's like, okay, well, I'm not that anymore, but I'm not this other thing yet either. And, again, I think pan society meets that need. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's true, though. It's true. (laughs) Yeah. No, it is. I think it's it's fair. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a beautiful book and movie. If you've never seen it, I highly encourage it because it has the wisdom of the old ways, but it also acknowledges that, you know, we're different people and both of these are, are really valid and the East and the West, the old and the new, the young and the old, like we were talking about before, the child and the elder need to come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think there has to be adaptability, too, though. Like, I, I totally understand having old ways, but something, sometimes it's just not applicable, right? We have different situations, different, um, especially for, like, mixed people, uh, when they have two, com- um, I won't say conflicting, but different uh, ancestral roots. Mm-hmm. Like. Which one do you follow? Which one do you listen to when you are both? So I, I think that, you know, that is one of those unifying things, especially for pan society, that you can practice both in that space. Yeah. Well, yeah. we have some traditions that, even though I love them and would love to do them here, they would be considered so barbaric and so bad that I wouldn't oh, feel I- comfortable doing them. I mean, I, I understand them. I love them. Don't get me wrong. And I, I, I never talk about them because people would just be too freaked out. This, I just could. I don't feel comfortable doing that here. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> you need to I, or something. <laughs> I can't. I can't say I'm not very curious to know what they are now. But. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like if you go on a trip and you hear like archaeological stuff of this culture did that and this culture, you're just like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like the Aztecs. You know, we don't know for sure that they did all the stuff that they did, but, you know, did they really have blood sacrifices? Did they really – what was it – remember when we were in um, – the place where they had the football, or I don't know what you call it, when they had the hole in the in the ceiling with, and they would, I think they said they would kick the ball down the field and put the put put it through the hole, and that was the game. Didn't they say, or is this my imagination, that they would that that like at the end somebody's head would be chopped off or something? Um, no, you remember that? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I think I've heard so, something. <laughs> similar it's to that, traditions yeah. like that. I mean, you know, it makes sense at the time. <laughs> Yeah. Or like the virgin sacrifices. It makes sense at the time, but you're not going to do that now. <laughs> well, I have friends, um, you know, they're in various forms of Ifa or um, Hoodoo Voodoo and all the other forms, Santeria, um, that still do tradition. that, you know, they really don't talk about out loud because it does freak a lot of people out. Yeah. But they still practice them, and I'm like, you do you. That's like your people's things, and that's, you know, you, and they're doing it for a reason, and there's, you know, so I, and they're doing it honorably in honorable ways. Yeah, so, right, right. I have no qualms about, like, you know, that's that's their beliefs, that's their system, and they're so happy what's, doing so it. What's for them? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I'm too, a little too American for that. I'd love it, though. <laughs> And I honor it when someone else is doing. I just 
I don't, I don't know. Maybe one day. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a, I think it's a different space for us here. Like, when do we have to do those things, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine. Like, I did have a dream one time that um, I was supposed to go out in the wilderness with some people and hunt a wild boar and get its tooth or something, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, why? <laughs> and and I get those things. Like, I get, <laughs> like, ancient cultures doing them. But, yeah, I, I can't see myself doing this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love I love that you mentioned that because going back to that kind of duality and just saying you know like how some things work for other people and and they may not be for you but that doesn't mean it's not good for them um, right yeah just as you were saying that you know I get I get kind of the opposite you know I I honestly feel like something I really want to do is you know go out with um, you know with a group of other hunters and like physically hunt down an animal to eat, you know, an actual, um, you know, because I've, I've been hunting and we hunt with guns now, but I feel like there's a primal connection that could be made by actually going out and spear hunting or something with a group. And, you know, to a lot of people, that's like, why would you need to do that? You know, we have stores, we have all these things. Um, but for me, it's like, you know, I I can't imagine something, I can't imagine something that would connect me more to my ancestors than... Yeah than getting my sustenance in the way that they did, you know. And well, then yeah, I get that. Like, still that way. You know, like yeah. a ritual. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if the animal's involved and there's sacrifice and there's gratitude, I I I think that's the cleanest form of eating that there is. And and not just even an animal, but the plants too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, definitely. But yeah, it's and going back to how we're, you know, talking about how we search for our own cultures now, you know, it's, it's so cool that today with internet connection and being able to find people that we would have never, ever met before. um, Right. We're able to connect with all these people that share our thoughts and beliefs or, you know, like in pan society, we can kind of counter each other's beliefs and talk about things and grow in that way and figure out, you know, hear new ideas that we wouldn't have thought of, hear about different cultures that can inspire us to connect better ourselves with nature and our ancestors and things like that. And it really, technology is one of those things that I hate it until I love it and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely has its uses, but uh, yeah, I'm not a fan either. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love um, that, that they're having more, Animus books for kids, and not pagan books, animus books, things that are fairy tale like. Um, I, mm-hmm. I have them so hopeful for the kids that are coming up. Because mm-hmm. they'll have so much that we didn't have. Yeah. No, and that's, a, that's another cool thing. You know, again, going back to the internet and how we're all so connected to each other, um, and how we were saying, you know, you can, be, you can start out in a, in a culture. Um, you know, if you're in small town, wherever, and that's where you grew up, and everybody thinks the exact same way, um, and you're not ever going to be exposed to other ideas, well, now we have the ability to go out and get those. We can, we can yeah. look online for books and things that we can give to our children, give to our 
friends and family, just read ourselves that give us such different perspectives mm-hmm. on the world that we would have never had before. Um, yeah. Which I do, I think about that all the time. And I love, I love the library I build at home from just all these different things I see from all over the world. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, just as we were saying earlier, how there's this kind of cultural pushback on re-recognizing um, our relationship with nature and the importance of imagination and myth and fantasy, yeah. especially for mm-hmm. children. Um, I feel like you're seeing a lot more products like that coming out, Yeah, um, which is good. Yeah, and the other thing, too, about that is that so much of it is done from a space of love, which I really like. It's not this forced indoctrination like you see in some other um, spirituality. This is the only way, and, you know, you have to do it like this. I love the freedom of it. Yeah. No, there there seems to be a a big reduction in dogma. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and exactly, like, my way or the highway kind of thinking um, mm-hmm. where it seems like for the most part, the, the rules that I feel like most reasonable people are pushing is just the rule of allowing freedom, allowing freedom to do things a certain way or practice religion a certain way or beliefs or the ability to talk and have discussions without fearing for, you know, censorship or, or different things like that. And I, I think that is something that um, resonates in a lot of Western culture and it's something that a lot of people are fighting for now so that we can continue to have this kind of freedom to explore and kind of grow more as a, uh, like a world community. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me, you guys. Once again, fabulous conversation. And stay safe in this corona. It's... Here, it's like everybody's like so locked down. I'm hyper aware of Corona right now. <laughs> um, but uh, if, if our listeners want to join the conversation, you know where to find us on our private Facebook group. We're also on Instagram and Twitter uh, and um, YouTube, if those are your preferred platforms. So thank you, Sherry and Simon. I'm Laura Jobs, and we will see you next week. Thanks.